from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. Growing a superfood. Demand is going at record high. See what producers in Louisiana are doing to keep up with homegrown demand for one berry. Ending 2022 on an optimistic note. Producers became more optimistic about their farming operation and the ag economy in December. While 2023 starts with wild weather here at home. When you see the water moving this quick and rising like this, it's a little unsettling. And abroad. The quicker it ends, the quicker we get into a, 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 a pattern where we're not driven by La Nina anymore. Right now on Ag Day. Good morning, I'm Michelle Clinton is on vacation. Farmers got a gift with a Christmas and year-end rally in the grains. But the biggest moves came in the soybean complex on an Argentina weather rally tied to La Nina. Soybean meal was the leader with gains of 20% for 2022. Soybean oil was up 13%, while soybeans gained 14% or $1.85 for the year. Soybean prices saw a correction on the first trading session of the new year, in part due to some showers over the holiday weekend in Argentina. But the March contract still posted the highest year-end close on record and started the new year hitting some record highs as well. Many of the other soybean contracts did the same, including the November 2023 New Crop Futures contract. Well, what's interesting is we look at it two ways. We'll take the January 1 price and we'll look at normal weather years. And normally you, you get about a 10% rally above the January price, which would project this year up to about $16.86. And that'd be about as high as we could expect the market. And then for it to move lower. <clears throat> but if we isolate that to dry years where we have a weather adversity, whether that be in South America or here, uh, you can get about a 30% further rally, which would put us up over $19. The year-end rally in soybeans and soy products was pushed by strong demand for exports, but especially soybean processing with record high crust margins, plus the recent heat and dryness in Argentina, which has cut crop prospects for the number one soybean mill market in the world. Ag meteorologist John Baranek says that La Nina has continued to linger for the third year in a row in Argentina. La Nina typically leads to drier and hotter conditions across Argentina and southern Brazil. It actually didn't materialize so much in southern Brazil this year, which was kind of interesting. Um, but that does, it's not over yet. So uh, we've had uh, some very dry conditions in Argentina. He says La Nina is easing, but it may not happen soon enough to stop the deterioration in the Argentina crops. The process takes a couple of months. Um, models kind of say anywhere from January to March for that kind of uh, time frame to complete itself. Uh, and that will have some impacts going forward too. So the, the quicker it ends, the quicker we get into a, 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 a pattern where we're not driven by La Nina anymore. The Buenos Aires Grain Exchange rates only 10% of the soybean crop in Argentina as good to excellent, with corn only 15% good to excellent. Production estimates have been dropping in Argentina, with a notable agronomist recently lowering the soybean crop to 43 million metric tons. Once again, a major storm is barreling across the country, bringing with it the risk of tornadoes and flooding in the south, and ice and snow in the plains and upper Midwest. Check out these images from South Dakota, where Interstate 90 from Chamberlain to Sioux Falls had to be closed after roads became impassable from large snowdrifts. 
The snow ban bringing up to 12 inches of snow from South Dakota to Nebraska and further east to Minnesota and Wisconsin. This comes just days after the same storm system walloped California with dangerous flooding, forcing water rescues and evacuations. In Sacramento County, 40 people were rescued from their cars, according to a local fire official. Others were told to evacuate or shelter in place, the storm system causing significant flooding in urban areas and leaving creeks and rivers in Northern California overflowing. Now on Saturday, 4.75 inches of rain fell in a 24-hour period in Oakland, the wettest day on record. Roads were hit so hard that the National Weather Service said closures were too many to count. When you see the water moving this quick and rising like this, it's a little unsettling. When I opened one of my gates, there was so much water it was gushing and it knocked me over. More than 12 million people across the South were under flood watches Monday with the heaviest rainfall expected in parts of Southwest Alabama and Southeast Georgia. And as this storm continues to press east, there are several weather issues to track. Meteorologist Chuck Eber joins us with an update. All right, let's take a look at your current root zone. You can see in the center part of the country, extremely dry conditions off to the west dry, but that's going to change. We're going to have a lot of precipitation come in on the west coast and even down in the southeast with the cold front that will pass through. Here's these snowfall estimates. Check this out in California with this storm. We have snow totals that will exceed the feet. Okay, we may go up to six to eight feet with winds over the mountain crests at 100 miles per hour. How about the crop watch? Well, this is Matt Nelson in Burke County, Nebraska. Matt is sharing this picture, and Matt says at the time it was still raining when he took the picture, but ice was starting to form. Well, I'm continuing to track your forecasts, and I'll come back after the break with more weather. It looks like farmers ended the year with a more optimistic tone. The latest Purdue University CME Group Ag Economy Barometer coming in at a rating of 126 in December. Now that's 24 points higher than a month earlier. Researchers say although farmers were more positive regarding both the current as well as their expectations for the future, by far the biggest improvement was in their assessment of current conditions. The Farm Financial Performance Index rose 18 points this month to a reading of 109 versus 91 last month, and that was the first time in 2022 that index was above 100. However, when we ask producers to look ahead to farm financial performance in 2023, they do expect to see weaker performance in 2023 compared to 2022. Researchers say the change in perception among producers regarding their farm's financial situation could be attributable to producers taking time to estimate their farm's 2022 income following the completion of the fall harvest. They say the assessment of the farm financial conditions is consistent with USDA's forecast for strong net farm income in 2022. A new study from USDA shows farmers are continuing to expand their use of cover crops. This chart coming from the Economic Research Service, it says on fields growing corn for grain, less than 1% of the acreage used a fall cover crop before the 2010 crop. But as you can see by 2016, more than 5% of corn for grain acreage had a preceding fall cover. By last year, that number was just under 8%, representing a 44% increase in fall cover crop adoption on corn for grain fields. And check out the growth and adoption of cover crops on cotton fields with a 46% increase between 2015 and 2019. 
What's believed to be the world's first ag-focused satellite system is now in space. EOS Sat-1 was launched from SpaceX site in Cape Canaveral, Florida. The satellite was on board as part of SpaceX Transporter 6 mission. The satellite built by Dragonfly Aerospace is the first of a seven-satellite constellation. It will be put in low Earth orbit for EOS data analytics. The remaining six satellites will be deployed over the next three years. Dragonfly says this will be the world's first agricultural-focused satellite constellation, providing the agriculture and forestry industry with high-quality data to support efficient and sustainable practices. It says images obtained from the satellite will deliver valuable information for harvest monitoring, application mapping, and seasonal planning, along with analyzing things such as soil moisture, yield prediction, and biomass levels. Most of the grain and livestock futures were down for the first full trading day of the new year. Why was that? I'll talk to Bill Biederman about it coming up. And later, the growing popularity of raspberries and why some Louisiana farmers are now focused on trying to grow them in the country. Ag Day is brought to you by Germinator Closing Wheels. Germinator Closing Wheels provide quicker emergence and are more consistent in dry conditions than any other closing wheels. Order 12 to 16 rows today and qualify for free shipping or 20% off an end zone moisture management package. As we put a wrap on 2022 farm finances, USDA's chief economist says in general, operations were sitting in a pretty good position at the end of the year. That's better than many had predicted at the start of last year. Russia's invasion of Ukraine last February sent energy and fertilizer prices soaring, which had farmers hurrying to find the best deals possible on inputs amid major supply chain issues. Meanwhile, the markets for corn and wheat, along with other crops, rode a roller coaster of prices all year all while many farmers battle drought. But the bottom line numbers tell a more positive story. Net cash farm income is record high and net farm income the highest since the 70s. Trade record high. We saw assets and equities rise in 2022 and even some declines in debt. So despite everything thrown at them, Meyer says many producers finished 2022 very strong. Markets had a down day to start the new year. Bill Biederman with agmarket.net is joining us. And Bill, we had kind of a commodity-wide sell-off on Tuesday, the first trading day of a new year, but what caused it? Well, Michelle, I think a couple things. There was some moisture over the weekend down in South America, which really helped out in some of the dry areas of Argentina. It wasn't a drought salver, and they've got 10 days of dry weather and extreme heat down there, as your weatherman has been saying. So that, but the moisture was one thing that led to it. And then we saw a very strong move in the dollar. Uh, we're seeing some people, some attitude around the, country, around the world saying that, well, maybe we'll, we'll back off a little bit and, and cause a, a soft landing. And, and so that would imply that our interest rates will be higher and that's a stronger dollar environment. So that put a lot of pressure on commodities in general. And then the other thing too, Michelle, coming into last, the end of the year, we saw a lot of fund buying. Uh, the funds have been up to 128,000 contracts of beans and they lightened up. So we did have a very strong close to end of the year in soybeans, uh, historically high close, as we mentioned at the start of the show. But closing back below $15 here now in the March beans, did we do any technical damage? No, we really didn't. We took out the previous two days lows, but the weekly lows have held and, the, and we're above all the moving averages. So the trend is still up. 
this is a, probably a good pullback. You'll probably find some technical buyers on this setback. Plus, Argentina looks like it's going to continue to turn back dry. And so how much higher do you think this market could really go, Bill, if that forecast confirms? <clears throat> yeah, that's a good question. Uh, we're probably looking at a situation where the bean market is going to be, it's right now in the middle of the consolidating range where we sold off from last summer's high down to this uh, last fall's low. And we're right almost in the middle of that. We'll probably consolidate for a while in here. We won't go over $16 and we won't go over won't go below $14 for a while. We need some new news. And if soybeans continue to go higher, will corn and wheat have to follow? I would assume that if beans are going higher, it's because the uh, Argentine crop might be pushing down below 45 million tons. Total okay. South American production might be much, not much higher than last year. And that would cause demand to shift here for all commodities. All right, thanks for your insight. And that is Bill Biederman, agmarket.net. We have more Ag Day coming up. To contact Bill Biederman at Ag Market, call 844-4-AG-MARKET or visit their website at www.agmarket.net. Meteorologist Chuck Heaver is in with our national forecast and another historic storm just about to hit that west coast. I'll tell you, the west coast is going to get hammered and heavy amounts of snow. Let's take a look at the forecast. Okay, let's take a look at the jet stream first. And you can see clearly there's a storm up to the north and that's gonna slowly work its way east. The good news is for the nation, it's going to be relatively mild for this time of the year because we have a relative zonal pattern. Now we do have a storm coming into the west coast and that's gonna lay down a ton of moisture in the form of rain closer to the coast and then heavier snow as you move up into the mountains. And then as the week pushes along, again, we stay zonal, so it's gonna remain relatively mild throughout the week. So that's the jet stream. How about those snowfall estimates I talked about? Yes, let's zoom down. You're going to see those snowfall amounts pile up in the Sierra Nevada. We are going to see snow in the feet, six, eight feet at the higher elevations and winds over 100 miles per hour on the crests of the mountains. Here's a future radar shows the storms down to the southeast. That's going to produce some severe weather. And then this is the big storm. This is going to lay down a lot of rain and a lot of snow on the west coast, San Francisco, all the way up the coast. And that's going to create flooding problems throughout the entire state of California. Here's a precipitation forecast. Look at that anywhere in red. That is over three inches and it's going to be a big heavy duty storm and then some thunderstorm precipitation accumulation there. 36 in Chicago for today. For tonight, temperatures dip down to 30 in Chicago. The warm spot 67 for the low down in Brownsville and then temperatures rebound tomorrow. Again, relatively mild throughout the country, warmer down to the south. Look at that an 86 down in Miami. Okay, a look at closer to your home. Lake Tahoe, winter storm, rain, snow, wind, high 37, low 27. Over in Denver, Colorado, mostly sunny, a high 37, low 16, and Bismarck, North Dakota, high 16, low 5. Weed Warriors on Ag Day is brought to you by Fierce, a pre-emergence herbicide with three formulations. Learn more at valent.com slash fierce. Always read and follow label instructions. While we're in a lull from weed fighting season, it may be time to pencil out some numbers for next season. 
Farmer and business consultant Shea Folk recently writing on agweb.com about fighting weeds and the return on investment. He says, according to recent research from Iowa State University, from emergence until V2, an average of half a bushel is lost each day. Application is delayed. He says in his own corn study, 10 days at half a bushel per day is five bushel of potential yield loss. Adding that up, five bushels at $6.20 a bushel is $31 per acre loss. Now he says with commodity prices where they are, he hears people wondering if they can continue to pay higher input prices. He says, how can you afford not to? For Shea's five steps for quality weed and fiscal management, make sure to check out agweb.com. And what about those higher input costs? How much longer could they last? One expert believes the days of making $3 an acre glyphosate applications are gone. He says the same goes for glufosinate. AgWeb speaking with weed scientist Tommy Butts of the University of Arkansas Extension. Here's what he has to say about possible prices for this year. So I would say my rough estimate for our programs in Arkansas, we're probably looking at it's going to be 75 to $85 an acre. Um, and that's just herbicide costs. That's not right. necessarily application cost. And that's not also not including our burn downs because we typically have a pretty solid burn down too, which might be another $20 an acre. Okay. So, if, you know, if you factor burn down plus applications in season, you're looking at an easy $100 bill for just chemicals would be my guess. But says cost-wise, it's still all over the board. He says a lot of companies offer price savings programs and rebates, and this is a good time of year to be checking into those. Coming up, people are asking for more locally produced fruit. And Louisiana is working on a plan to deliver. See why the raspberry market is growing next in the country. In the Country on Ag Day is brought to you by Pivot Bio. What if you had the nitrogen you need already on seed? Pivot Bio is the first company to apply nitrogen on seed. The nitrogen you need, now on seed from Pivot Bio. Learn more at pivotbio.com. Demand for cane fruits such as raspberries is exceeding supply, so researchers in the southeast are looking for ways to grow them and get multiple harvests throughout the year. LSU's Ag Center reporter Craig Gotro has this report from a research farm on the LSU campus. It's not a fruit that is typically grown in the deep south, but researchers are looking for ways to commercially produce raspberries to meet growing demand for locally produced fruit. Demand is going uh, record high. However, the vast majority now of our raspberries are not produced in the, in the United States. They're produced in other countries, primarily Mexico. Most American-grown raspberries come from more temperate climates than the southeast. Researchers like Pika are examining varieties and production methods that can be adapted to the environmental conditions of this region. We want to introduce new high-value specialty crops that are appropriate for our small growers so they can uh, develop uh, sustainable uh, climate-smart production practices and it's very uh, appropriate for consumers that are interested in healthier foods. The COVID pandemic helped spur many Americans to maintain a more healthful lifestyle, which included a healthier diet. Cane fruits like raspberries and blackberries are considered superfoods. 
They're very high in vitamins, vitamin C in many cases, other uh, multiple vitamins, B vitamins, vitamin A in some cases. They're very high in nutraceutical compounds, phenolic compounds that are very secondary metabolites that are antioxidants. Pika says to make raspberries a success, it is important to get multiple harvests from the plants at a time when consumers are seeking them. We can get fresh market raspberry production in the Deep South from beginning in October through early April, which is a very high market demand uh, period for fresh market raspberries. One hurdle growers must overcome is that raspberries are very perishable and need to be kept in cold storage to extend their shelf life. With the LSU Ag Center, this is Craig Gotro reporting. Thanks, Craig, and that's all the time we have for this morning from all of us here at the Ag Day team. Have yourself a great day.